Brought to you by BedroomBattlefields.com, this is the Tabletop Miniature Hobby Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tabletop Miniature Hobby Podcast. It's the best podcast in the world. Don't just take my word for it. In fact, you'll have to because nobody's ever said that before. Uh, Matthew with you here, your host, certainly not the best podcaster in the world, but I do my best. Uh, on this episode, just an eclectic mix of stuff that I've been up to, a few hobby updates and content updates and stuff like that for you. So no other guest today, unfortunately, maybe you might be thinking, but anyway, let's get into it. I wanted to start with a quote. I don't know if you've ever read this book before. It's called Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. It's a classic book by Robert Persig. Uh, I think it was maybe released in the 70s, a long time ago anyway, before I was born. But a really profound book, heavy going at times, but there's a quote in it I really like. He says in it, you want to know how to paint a perfect painting? It's easy. Make yourself perfect and then just paint naturally. So I'm not going to try and break that down or interpret it. I, I think people interpret this in all sorts of different ways, but I think it's definitely relevant to our hobby, especially when it comes to slapping paint on your wee miniatures. So yeah, really good book that, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, bit of a classic. So I'll start as these podcast episodes usually do, just by updating you on some of the hobby stuff that I've been up to recently. I finally finished a warband of goblins from Nightmare Miniatures, and I've now put photos to them up on the website bedroombattlefields.com, so... I was uh, going through a slow period, I reckon all my periods are slow to be honest, but this was a particularly slow period and it, it seemed to take ages to get these done, but I'm really happy with them. Uh, they're Kev Adams sculptures from what I could ascertain on the website, that's the first time I've ever used that word on the podcast, but uh, they were a real joy to paint, like some of the most characterful miniatures I've ever painted to be quite honest, so... They'll fit nicely into a sort of bigger goblin and green skin warband that I'm building. I've got a few more old miniatures in the drawer there. I've got a I've got a squig hopper, I've got a couple of fanatics, and I've got a lot more snotlands as well to add to the the warband. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed those. And like I say, you'll get pictures of them at bedroombattlefields.com. I also finally got started on my 15mm stuff that I'd been talking about a couple of months ago. So I've got two armies that I've put together. Uh, it's a it's a sort of orc and goblin army. There's some chaos warriors in there as well. And then I've got a sort of imperial or human army, whatever you want to call it. You know, knights, crossbowmen, stuff like that. So one of the orders that I got to put these armies together was alternative armies based here in Scotland. And they gave me a freebie. It was a, a big sort of stone troll type guy. And uh, the sort of miniature that works in any scale, I'm not actually sure what scale it's intended for. It's possibly 28mm, but it works really well in contrast with the 15mm guys. Like, I'm going to use it as a sort of, well, bigger, more giant stone troll. So, aye, it'll, it'll work for all scales, like I say. Really cool miniature and nice touch to to chuck that in for free as well. So I'm starting with, uh, I'm going to do two units. I, I based them all. So I've got these uh, orc warriors. They've got like sort of chopper blades and shields. So I've got them. They've got a champion and a standard bearer as well. And then I've got this unit of human knights. So I'm going to, 
I'm going to work on two units at a time so that I don't get too overwhelmed. So the next stage now is to be um, spraying some undercoat on them and getting to work over the next few weeks. As always, I'll, I'll keep updated on bedroombattlefields.com as well. Speaking of the website, there's been a lot that I've been putting on there recently uh, and I wanted to give you a wee heads up about a couple of tools. I know that this is a an era of social media, you know, most people have social accounts, whether that's Twitter, Instagram, whatever, and that's how they kind of follow and keep up with stuff, but you maybe heard me saying before that I'm not a fan of social media, I don't use it, and there's a couple of cool tools that I use to keep up with websites and blogs instead of social media accounts. So the first one is Feedly, that's feedly.com, and what you could do there, you could find all of the websites and blogs and stuff like that that you, you know, that post regular content that you want to keep up with and you can uh, add their, their feeds to the, the Feedly website and it's all free and it'll um, curate them for you. So you go on there and it displays it almost like a social media feed, except you've not got all the crap that, you know, comes with social media. You've just purely got updates from the websites that you want to follow. So latest posts, latest news, whatever. And this obviously it works brilliant for the hobby. You can make a list for all your hobby stuff, but also in other areas of interest that you might have, whether that's sport or news or whatever, you know, your own industry that you work in, you could have a, a list for that as well. So it, it means that, you know, it's um, all this stuff's just coming to you automatically. You could check in there once a week and just see what updates there are and you'll find a, a bunch of articles and news updates. So you could use Feedly to, to follow this website, obviously, bedroombattlefields.com, but you could you could use it to follow any website, to be honest. Uh, and that's, that's sort of the first tool, so that's like the tool that's curating things and putting them in front of me. And then I use a tool called Instapaper, so you could use Feedly for free. Instapaper, I think it's something like, it's like $2 a month or something like that. But... Uh, Instapaper basically then you could go through all these links all these articles that you want to read and if you put them into Instapaper you could send them directly to your Kindle so that means that you could go away from the computer and, and read I don't personally enjoy standing at a computer reading or you know reading things on my phone if it's long form I prefer to get them onto a Kindle and uh, go away and read them at my own leisure. So when I use Instapaper, I could pull all these articles that I'm interested in, all these blog posts, compile them into one single report. If, I don't know if that's the right word for it. Report, it sounds a bit formal, but you put it on onto Instapaper and through to your Kindle and you could just read through them that way. So that's two two tools that I use uh, to, to follow websites and basically it means that I don't need to go anywhere near social media either. So Feedly.com and Instapaper.com. I'll put links in the show notes to those as well if you're interested in checking them out. No affiliation on my front for either of those. I just thought that you might be interested in them. And it's a good opportunity to to test them out actually because I've just went and published a text-based interview, a written interview with none other than Rick Priestley on bedroombattlefields.com. So Rick was very kind to agree to do a, a text-based interview. We had talked about getting together on the podcast, but we couldn't kind of sync up to make that happen at this moment in time, but he was more than happy to to answer some questions in the written format. So that was just really cool. You know, another person that I've always uh, admired and always wanted to speak to and it was a real privilege that he agreed to do that for us so thank you so much to Rick not that he's probably listening to this but 
just great to to add him to the list of folks that I've spoken to in the last few months. You know, we've had Alessio Cavatori, Gav Thorpe, Thomas Perrinan, Andy Chambers, and hopefully a couple more in the pipeline too. And on top of publishing that interview with Rick Priestley, I've also published a few other blog posts recently, and these kind of relate to solo wargaming. So I had a good conversation recently on the podcast with William of William's Wargames and we, we kind of got into this, you know, solo gaming and th- this idea that you're not just lining up against uh, a warband NPCs and having that it. There, there can be other elements that come into play, you know, from weather to traps to objectives and stuff like that. So I was really interested to dig in a bit more to this. I did get the solo wargaming book that he recommended. I thought it was fine, you know, a d- decent book, but it kind of prompted me to go back to a book that I think is gold standard in this kind of arena, and that's Perilous Dark by Joe McCulloch, which is predominantly written as a guide to playing solo and co-op games in Frostgrave, and it obviously has a lot of crossovers with Rangers of Shadow Deep too, which is one of my favourite games. And it's it's a good guidebook for, for creating things like this, for creating solo games, for creating these sort of narrative campaigns. And I wanted to dig into this a bit more. So actually, I took, took some time away from painting. I'll usually, you know, two or three nights midweek, I'll be able to get in half an hour to 45 minutes of painting time. And I thought, well, seeing as I'd finished those goblins, I thought I'm going to actually work on playing a game for a bit. So... I planned up a scenario and then managed to play it out as well. And that was a, that was a game that I've been looking forward to, to playing for a while, Planet 28. You, I heard me mention it on the show before. And uh, it's a sci-fi skirmish game and it's got solo rules as well. So what I decided to do was take to AI. I know AI's, um, it could be a divisive and even tedious topic for some uh, you know, it seems to be everywhere these days, but I think these tools are, they're really useful in acute situations, like I'm not one of these AI fanboys or, you know, uh, the type of person that thinks they're going to destroy the world or anything like that, but I think in very acute situations you could you could do a lot with AI. So I used AI, I, I basically told it, you know, what game I was playing, I explained a bit about how the game works, I told them about my miniatures and I gave them the backstory of the scenario. So it was kind of a Necromunda world style setup. I had this this gang of four called the Scabrats, these just four, you know, low level uh, gangers, if you like. And what had happened was they had, they had come into possession of this fragment of Warpstone and they were meeting this shady dealer to try and sell it off. And this shady dealer had double crossed them to a couple of Chaos Space Marines who were basically going to wipe them out and steal it. So I told all this to, to ChatGPT and it come up with this narrative, Echoes of the Abyss, and I basically asked it to write me the story in the style of what you would see in an old White Dwarf magazine. So it did a, it did a really good job there, you know, created this story for me. I'm not going to read it to you, I'll put, again, I'll put links in the show notes to it. But, uh, you know, we had the two Chaos Space Marines, Zarko, Warp Reaver, and Mordax Bloodclaw, and the the guy who betrayed them, Ravis Blackfeather, he was like the, the sort of dealer, but obviously had chaos sympathies and, and sold the gang out. And you might have heard me talk on a recent episode about the battle systems terrain that I've got, so I used that Frontier Core set to set the table up, it did a really good job there. 
And yeah, I thought uh, Planet 28 was really good. Really enjoyed it. Uh, I thought I would, to be honest, you know, reading through the rules and stuff like that. But but obviously, that's not always a guarantee, is it? Sometimes you read rules and think you really like it and then you play it and you don't, you know, you don't fully get into it. But I'm pleased to say that with Planet 28, I could see me playing that a lot. So with the game, I think it lasted about eight turns. Like I say, I had four characters on my side and I was playing against uh, the AI system, the game system itself. It was two Chaos Space Marines who were much more powerful than any of my individuals. And the idea was that one of my characters had this fragment of warp stone and I was using a card deck and I had tokens on the table. The idea was that they were trying to find an exit. So it was, you know, like a grate that could take them out of a vent or something like that. They were trying to escape. So my victory conditions were that all four of them escaped with the warp stone. A partial victory would be that one or more of them escaped alive and a defeat would be that all four were killed. And it was one of these situations where, you know, when you're randomising these things with decks of cards, sometimes you could pull out something a bit earlier than you might have liked, you know, in terms of the narrative. So one of my gangers, he, he found the exit really early on. I think it was like the first turn. So I knew where the exit was. So, you know, for a narrative, you're maybe wanting that to go on a wee bit more. You're maybe wanting the guys to be opening a bit more traps, maybe finding a bit more loot first, but it is what it is, and, um, you know, we knew where the exit was quite early, I had the guys, you know, I started the game, they were all split up trying to find the exit on their own, so um, each time they encountered uh, combat with one of these Chaos Space Marines, it was really difficult for them, because these guys were just so much more powerful, they had the ability to literally throw them across the room as well, and the leader of my gang, he had a warpstone shard and what I was doing what I brought into play was that he had to take a psych test every turn and if he failed that psych test he was basically hostile to his, his comrades and I think that only happened once or twice but he literally at one point did attack one of his pals so it keeps things lively and interesting when you're when you're doing that sort of solo play so again, taking to AI, I was making very rough play-by-play -play notes of what was going on in the game. You know, just top-level stuff. He went there, he shot at him, you know, he took damage, whatever. And again, I put that into chat GPT and I just said, create, you know, based on the backstory, create me a narrative from this. So it gave me a turn-by-turn, -turn, you know, again, sort of like a battle report that you might have found in White Dwarf and it was... Uh, it was pretty well written, pretty cinematic, and just a cool thing to do. I wouldn't obviously do it every game I've played, but I just wanted to try it out, and I, I thought it worked pretty well. So when you have a look at the, if you want to have a look at this on bedroombattlefields.com, you'll see each turn, you know, there's a, a good bit of detail about what happened in each turn, but written from the point of view that this is a story rather than it's simply just a game that somebody's playing. And in the end, uh, two of them did escape. We didn't escape with the warp stone. My leader got killed. It was uh, it was very tight. He nearly made it. He was just inches away from the exit. But uh, one of the, the marines shot him in the back and that was it. It was all over for him. So they got away with their warp stone. But two of my, two of my gang members did live to see another day. So that was Planet 28 by Mammoth Miniatures. And I also have its fantasy alternative, Brutal Quest. And I wanted to turn my attention to that now and think about doing a wee campaign. So that was a one-off game there. But I'm looking now to do something that's kind of linked together and fight multiple different battles that, that sort of link into a wider overarching story. 
so my starting point here was to build a, a war band, or I suppose a party is a more accurate term, because there's just four of them, and it's the typical RPG setup of a mage, a dwarf, a barbarian, and a ranger. So they're more anti-heroes than heroes, I would guess. It's a hobgoblin shaman, a hobgoblin ranger, a chaos dwarf with two heads, and a sort of mutant demon barbarian. So definitely not the good guys, and I thought the setting could be the the old Warhammer world that we all know and love, Uh, starting these characters, you know, they've just escaped from a prison in the Darklands, they're going to make their way up through the blasted wastes, cross the world's edge mountains, skirting around the edge of the Empire, and going north to the realm of chaos itself. And they're in pursuit of this uh, other Chaos Dwarf. He's basically cousin to the the Chaos Dwarf in my party. And he was the one responsible for them being imprisoned in the first place. So this gives me lots of opportunities to meet and fight many different warbands on the way up there. And what I didn't want to happen was just to be playing basically the same game, but with different miniatures and different terrain. You know, just a... Here's the party, here's the opposition, let's kill them all and move on. You know, next time we play it'll be a different tabletop, different terrain, different opponents, but essentially just doing the same thing, just trying to outkill these NPCs. So again, harken back to Perilous Dark and my conversation with William recently and reading the Solo War Games book and uh, doing the tinkering with AI as well. I thought, how could I bring all this together to make this campaign and each game in the campaign really interesting and lively and unique you know it's it's not just setting up to outkill the baddies it's it's doing something it's telling stories it's character objectives and stuff like that so i started tinkering away on ai and i've now published this uh guide i guess i don't know if guide's the right term because I'm, I'm not trying to tell anyone what to do it's it's something i've created for my own use but i thought it was definitely worth sharing uh, I think others might find it interesting too, so I've published that now on bedroombattlefields.com. Again, another good reason to use the old Feedly and Instapaper combo, or just check out the site itself. But this is titled Solo, Co-op and Narrative Wargaming Campaigns. And what I've done here, I've broke it all down, talking through the campaign itself, the narrative, you know, who the characters are, who the antagonist is... Um, I'm referring a lot to, I create a lot of examples or reference a lot of examples in here so it's going to be one of the one of the encounters that takes place, we're going to be fighting a, a Nurgle warband that I'd painted up recently, they're led by a character I created called Festerblade Rotsworn, that's a very Nurgle name isn't it? So I've gone through this guide talking about cards and random role tables, scenario and mission objectives, uh, narratives that go beyond combat as well so a couple of examples here you know going back and forward with AI you, you don't tend to get uh, great stuff straight off the bat you need to go back and forward with it refine it a wee bit ask a few follow-up questions and direct it in certain ways but you know with the right prompts you could get some really good stuff out of it so a couple of examples here Retrieve the artifact, so your party must secure a valuable artifact hidden on the battlefield and successfully escape with it. We've got hold the line, defend a specific area or objective for a set number of rounds against waves of enemies to win. Uh, Scrolling down a bit, escort duty, safely escort a vulnerable NPC or convoy from one side of the battlefield to the other. Protect the VIP, we've got diplomatic solutions. Uh, that's negotiate with a neutral faction on the battlefield to gain their support or cooperation. 
sabotage, destroy a critical enemy structure or weapon within a limited number of turns, infiltration, infiltrate the enemy camp, gather intelligence and escape without being detected. So these are obviously really cool narratives that go beyond that, just, you know, outkill what's facing you on the table type thing. But obviously if you're doing a campaign, you want your stories to tie in from one to the next. You know, there's the overarching aim and then there's the little sub-aims or, you know, different battles that you're going to be taking part in. So I went back to the AI and, you know, I told it about the overall campaign, the overall story, and then referenced this one-off encounter with the Norgal Warband and asked it to come up with some potential objectives for this particular scenario. One of them was claim the mouldering banner, Festerblade Rotsworn's banner, crafted from flayed human flesh, is a gruesome symbol of power. Your heroes believe that capturing this gruesome symbol could lead to clues about Balric's whereabouts. So Balric, Balric Flameforged, he's the he's the antagonist here. He's the Chaos Dwarf that they're all in pursuit of. Another potential scenario objective here, exploit the valuable captive. Rotsworn's warband holds a captive who may hold knowledge of Balric's whereabouts. Your goal is to rescue this hostage and exploit their knowledge or worth to your advantage. Victory involves securing their cooperation or extracting valuable information. Uh, there's a few more here. Disrupt the Chaos Portal, seize the Forbidden Relic, survive the Plague Wind. That, that one says a noxious plague wind is sweeping across the battlefield carrying deadly diseases. Your objective is to survive a set number of turns while dealing with the effects of the Plague Wind. You win by keeping all your heroes alive until the end. So once you've got one of these that catches your eye that you want to actually use in your scenario, you could pick it and let the AI know that, you know, I'm, I'm going to opt for this one. Let's get more details on what success or failure could look like. So, so I picked the exploit the valuable captive one and it gave me some potential victory conditions. Rescue and extraction. The primary condition for victory is successfully rescuing the valuable captive from the clutches of Rotswarden's warband. To achieve this, your warband must reach the location where the captive is held, confront any guards or obstacles, and escort the hostage to safety. Victory is yours if the captive is safely extracted by the end of the game. There's also, uh, there's a few more, there's interrogation and intelligence. If your warband successfully captures and interrogates the valuable captive, you may obtain essential intelligence or secrets that could be used to your advantage in your quest to track down Balric Flameforged. Victory is achieved if your warband successfully interrogates the captive and acquires valuable information. Okay, so once you pick one of these, you could then start to think about things like clue markers and plot points. So again, I've asked AI for some ideas here. We've got Captive's Journal. Your party finds a bloodstained journal near a clue marker. It belongs to the captive and contains cryptic notes about Balric Flameforge's recent activities and connections to a hidden artifact. The journal hints at the artifact's location. It's worth saying that these, these clue markers and plot points, I, I'm very much in the Rangers of Shadow Deep camp with these where, you know, you've got these clue markers dotted around the tabletop and you don't know what they are until you get there. You've got the deck of cards and each card has a, a clue or plot point assigned to it. So you're drawing these cards at random as you uncover them and you can, you know, you could have traps and enemies spawning and stuff that we'll, we'll get into shortly. Uh, so going back to the clue markers and plot points then. Some of the other ideas we've got here. Cryptic map. Your party uncovers a torn map that seems to point to a hidden cache of valuable items. The captive's information confirms that these items are essential for your campaign against Balric Flameforged. 
And traitorous note, a note found at a clue marker suggests that a member of Rotswarn's warband might be willing to betray their leader in exchange for safety. This information could be used to sow discord within the enemy ranks. So some of these, obviously, they're not fully fleshed out. You know, AI's not going to do it all for you. It's, it's very much just about getting the creative juices flowing. And when you get things that you like the look of, you could either ask it to elaborate on them, but sometimes you're better just to polish them and, and finish them off yourself because you know the gaming system that you're playing as well. You know it more than AI. So, you know, it's very much an idea generator rather than giving you a, a finished, polished guide for this stuff. Did you know that, just like every other podcast out there, this show has its very own Patreon? But this is no ordinary Patreon. It's actually the worst Patreon ever. That's right, there's no rewards, no extras, no bonus content, no early access, no shoutouts and no thank yous. I'll just take the money and quietly get on with making the show. Not that there's any money to take because hardly anyone's pledging to the thing. Like I say, it's the worst Patreon ever. Find it at bedroombattlefields.com slash worst Patreon ever. That's all one word, worst Patreon ever. Now, back to the show. Moving on to some random event cards. So these aren't necessarily drawn by clue markers. These might be more the sort of cards that you're just selecting one with each turn. So, you know, each new turn has a, a new random event that you might be facing. So let's see what we got here. We got Foul Stench, a putrid cloud of noxious gas engulfs the battlefield. All characters, including your own, suffer a minus one penalty to their attack and agility for the next turn as they struggle to endure the foul odour. I've been in places like that, namely Weatherspoon's toilets. Brother Rust's Vengeance. So he's the Chaos Warrior in the Norgo Warband. Brother Rust, the Chaos Warrior, seeks vengeance against one of your characters. Randomly select a character. They are targeted by Brother Rust during his next activation, ignoring other targets if possible. We've got Rotten Ground. The ground becomes treacherous as it turns to rot and decay. All characters moving through or standing on open ground suffer a minus one agility penalty for one turn. And we've got Epidemic Outbreak. Nurgle's disease spreads rapidly. Each character within 10 centimetres of a plague bearer must make a break test. Failure results in suffering one damage for each point failed. Nurgle followers are immune. So then I got thinking about the, you know, the characters themselves in my party. And we've obviously got this common goal of what they want to achieve in the overall campaign and then they have a common goal in each scenario but what about some personal objectives this is what I was thinking of next so you know again going back to AI I was I was kind of asking it okay we're working towards this objective but what what could some potential personal objectives be for the characters too what might they hope to complete within that scenario that might give them some bonus uh, abilities or loot or rewards or something like that. So some of the uh, ideas that I got here for the Hobgoblin Shaman. Is it Shaman or Shaman? I've never known. Never known that. Shaman or Shaman. Maybe both. Tomato, tomato, all that. Nobody says tomato though. But anyway, I digress. Uh, Zargul, he's the, he's the Shaman aims to weaken Rotswarm's warband by placing a curse on one of the Plaguebearers, sapping its strength. His objective is to cast a debilitating curse on a Plaguebearer during the battle. 
Drakkar Blood Tracker, he's the Hobgoblin Ranger, is tasked with ensuring the group's safe escape after extracting the captive. His objective is to locate and secure a viable escape route marked by a clue marker. My Barbarian, it's Courtney Lovecraft, remember her from previous battles, I think Rangers of Shadow Deep. But anyway, I'm, I'm using Courtney again, great miniature. So, Courtney wishes to challenge Festimus, the demon, in combat to prove her strength. Her objective is to engage Festimus in melee combat and emerge victorious. And Zarzul Two Beards, he's my two-headed chaos dwarf, so he seeks information on Balric's whereabouts and weaknesses. His objective is to gather intelligence from a clue marker regarding Balric Flameforge's location. Going beyond that, getting really into the weeds now, I thought, what about some internal warband dynamics? So this is thinking beyond your characters as like chess pieces, you know, they're, they're all on the table there, they're all just doing what they're told, they're all fighting together. Real life, I know our games aren't set in real life, but real life's not like that. Characters might be on the same team, but they might hate each other, you know, there might be all sorts of dynamics going on. So I was thinking, what if you had a random role table that could uh, help create some of these dynamics for you that might advantage or disadvantage certain characters when they need each other? So here are some ideas for that. Grudge. One character holds a grudge against another for a past mistake. When within 5 centimetres of the target of their anger, they receive a plus 1 bonus to skill rolls, but suffer a minus 1 penalty to psych rolls. Remember, this is all based around the Brutal Quest and Planet 28 mechanics, but you could apply this to any game at all. You know, these are these are specific mechanics for those gaming systems, but it's, it's so easily reskinned or ported over to any other gaming system, I would say. What else have we got here? Bitter Rivalry. Two characters in your warband have a long-standing feud. They refuse to work together and receive a minus two penalty to skill rolls when they are within five centimetres of one another. Secret Admirer. One character secretly admires another from afar. If they are in combat together, they gain a plus one bonus to skill rolls, but the admired character has no knowledge of the admirer's feelings. I don't know, don't know how that might work, but still, you know, we could work on it. Jealousy. One character is envious of another's success. When the successful character gains a reward, the jealous character must pass a psych roll or become distracted, receiving a minus two penalty on skill rolls for one turn. Sacrifice. One character is willing to sacrifice themselves to save another. If they are in combat together, they could use their actions to protect the other character, but they cannot attack or move. So that's some other wee bits of icing there you could apply to liven up your solo and co-op campaigns. Then I was looking for some ideas of ongoing character development. So, you know, the AI talked about creating a campaign record sheet uh, and it talked about a thing called relationship points as well. And again, I know AI is it's almost always plagiarism from somewhere because it all the information it has, it's pulled from somewhere else. So this is very well going to be a mechanic that exists in some other gaming system, this relationship points thing. But I wanted to look into that a bit more. So the idea behind relationship points here, it seems, is that, you know, you've got this one character and then the other character, there'll be, you know, the relationship points between those two characters and then another character and another character will be different. So you, you'll have a starting point here and then that could add or deplete over the, the games that you play. So examples of gaining relationship points, rescuing a teammate, a character saves another character from certain danger during a game, earning gratitude and trust, 
that gives you two relationship points. Completing a personal quest together, that gives you three relationship points. Uh, so there's obviously there's going to be a lot of bookkeeping here. You might not want to implement all of this at once, but it's again, it's all just ideas. It's all just wee things that you could test and try out and add in now and then. And just, again, it's all about keeping things interesting and a wee bit cinematic as well. On the losing relationship points front, failure to protect. A character fails to protect another during a dangerous situation, leading to resentment. That's minus two relationship points. Betrayal. A character betrays the trust of another by stealing line or endangering them during a game. That's minus three relationship points. So you're really veering into this sort of RPG there, aren't you? Like, it's, you know, a lot of this goes beyond simply rolling the dice. And it's however far you want to go into this. You know, you could go full RPG or I'm sure you could find more ways of um, not necessarily automating this, but bringing it more into the game rather than just what's in your imagination. Another factor that Joe McCulloch talked about in Perilous Dark was time limitation. And typically games have certain amounts of turns, don't they? You know, six turns, eight turns, whatever. You've got to achieve what you need to achieve within those turns. But it's also good to have some narrative reasons for those turn structures. So I'd asked for some ideas on that. Uh, again, you know, referencing that scenario where I'm going to be fighting the, the Norgo Warband. We've got Captive Degeneration. You could guess what's happening there. Festering Rift, that's the classic, you know, a rift's going to open. Are we going to be able to stop it in time? There's a ritual going on. Uh, we've got Nurgling Infestation and Noxious Fog. So all sorts of different narrative reasons for why we're racing against the clock on that front. And of course, it's not just about explaining the reason for a finite amount of turns, it's about potentially introducing challenges as the game goes on too. So turn two is harder than turn one, turn three is harder than turn two and so on. You know, what conditions might be getting more and more difficult with each turn that passes? Could it be that your characters decline with each turn that passes? Maybe there's more enemies on the board. You know, like I say, there's conditions. Is the ground getting harder and harder to walk on? Is the air getting harder to breathe or harder to see through? So you could incorporate that as well. You know, we've got a limited amount of turns, but be aware that turn six is going to be infinitely harder than turn one as well. There's also a lot you could play with when it comes to enemy effects or generation or spawning. So we've got things like Reinforcement Wave. At the start of every second or third turn, a Reinforcement Wave of Nurgle's minions arrives from a specific edge of the battlefield. There's ideas for a Summoning Circle. We've got Corrupted Ground. Uh, Fester Blade Standard. Fester Blade Rotsworn carries a standard made of flayed human flesh. They make a big deal of this, don't they? As long as he's on the battlefield, the standard emits waves of dark energy that periodically summon additional plague bearers to his side. To stop this, your party must defeat Fester Blade or capture the standard. Rotting remains. Scatter the battlefield with rotten corpse markers. At the end of each turn, there's a chance that these corpses attract scavengers, which may include plague bearers or nurglings. Your party can destroy the markers to deter scavengers from gathering. So going back to the clue markers, it's a good idea to have some traps in these as well. You don't always want a clue marker just to be either a good thing or nothing at all. You, you want negatives in there. So some ideas for trap markers. We've got toxic fumes. Blighted Puddles, Nurgling Ambush, Quicksand and Pestilent Fog. So these are things you could imagine, you know, it's given you a little idea of what's happened to the characters as they've unveiled this and it's going to give you the parameters of, 
you know, the amount of damage that they're going to have to roll for. So some traps there. Obstacles as well. These are things that don't necessarily hurt or kill your characters, but they could slow them down. They could hinder their progress. And when you're racing against the clock as well, time is of the essence. So, you know, these obstacles could add another element to your games. Uh, we've got contaminated pools, fetid swamp, Nurgles, plague totems, uh, toxic vapors, churning miasma, swarm of flies. You, you know, you get the picture here. These are these are things that are going to slow your characters down and reduce their abilities as well. One final thing as well. I mean, this is kind of the same, but weathering conditions. So you know, I would only advise rolling on this table or drawing this card once per game. And that's not necessarily at the start of the game. You know, you, you might just have one single weathering condition card in your event deck. And once you draw that out, you could then roll on a table like this one that the, the AI created for me. So we've got things like heavy rain. A torrential downpour makes movement difficult. All characters' speed is reduced by 3 centimetres. Range attacks have a minus 2 penalty to hit. We've got thick fog, blinding snowstorm, gale force winds. What does that do? Powerful winds sweep across the battlefield. All ranged attacks suffer a minus one penalty to hit and any flying characters or creatures are grounded for one turn. You know, you could get a bit fantastical with these as well. Um, we've got winds and magic. A surge of magical energy fills there. All spellcasters gain a plus two bonus to psych rolls for the spells with no risk of mind death for failed rolls. We've got a volcanic ash cloud. We've got an earthquake there. The ground trembles and shakes violently. All characters must make an immediate agility roll or be knocked prone, losing their action for the turn. I even went down a rabbit hole with this. I created a whole other blog post uh, and it was on weathering conditions for fighting games in the realm of chaos itself and in sort of Lovecraftian settings. You know, if you were playing a wee game in Innsmouth or somewhere like that, uh, the sort of more cosmic horror, again, highly fantastical sort of conditions that you might face there. So that's all on the website too, bedroombattlefields.com. So that was that. I put that together over the course of a good few days. Like I say, I had a lot of help from my robot overlords, but pulled it all together and, and you know, cherry-picked the elements that I could see myself using, and I've put that all together on the website. So I definitely wouldn't be throwing everything into one game, especially the first game or something, but I'm maybe just going to pick and choose wee bits and pieces as the games go by and see what works and see what doesn't. It's obviously not all going to work and especially not all at the same time consecutively, but I think there's a lot in here that's, um, you know, going to take things far beyond, like I keep saying, you know, setting up some NPCs on the table and just trying to kill them. I think we could do so much more than that and I'm looking forward to giving that a shot. All right then, just a quick few things to batter through as we reach the end of the episode. Uh, I did notice there it's October 2023 at time of recording. I didn't just notice that, but uh, 30 years exactly since I got my first White Dwarf magazine. Um, October 1993, it was the release of 40k 2nd edition. I got a free Space Marine on the front and I still have the magazine to this day. I, I did an episode about it a year or two ago with Josh from the Crown of Command podcast. So if you want to check out that episode, Josh and I basically looked through the magazine together and had a good old nostalgic laugh at it. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. My first White Dwarf magazine from 30 years ago. And that makes me feel old, probably because I am. Another wee thought I had recently, and I, I hope this isn't bordering on the, the morbid, but uh, 
my wife and I, we, we, this is a long story and it's not really all that relevant, but we're going on holiday for a week ourselves uh, in December for my birthday and um, we went and did a very adult thing. We got our, our wills drawn up because obviously you're going away without the kid and you don't know what might happen. I mean, hopefully it won't, but we, we did the old getting the wills drawn up thing. And I was thinking about like, uh, and I've heard this come up in conversation before, like, well, your miniatures and all your games and that, these things are, are worth decent amounts of money. And, um, you know, if you die and nobody really knows anything about it, they might just end up putting them in the charity shop or whatever. And, you know, there's a potential to at least sell them and make some money for, for whoever's left behind. So it got me thinking about this idea, like, is it worth sort of partnering up with somebody else in the hobby that you know? And just, uh, I don't know how you, you would maybe write this in the will or whatever, but, you know, if anything happens to me, contact this person because they'll uh, they'll evaluate the, co the collection and help you sell it, basically, for, for a decent price. So this may be something worth considering, you know, if you're getting your affairs in order. Is there somebody else out there that you could say, you know, if something happens to me, uh, somebody will be in touch and here's all the stuff I've got, you you help um, you help my executors to, to offload it and I'll do the same for you. So like I say, hope, hope that's not too morbid a thought, but it was just something that crossed my mind when we were doing the old will writing thing. And I referenced uh, a book at the start, I'm always reading two or three books at a time, I get a lot of stick from my wife for that, I, I, you know, don't just start and finish some, I've got like, I've always got five on the go in different formats, I've got a Kindle one, a paper one, I've got an audiobook on the go, but I've got an old copy, an old tattered copy of Ghouls of Miskatonic by Graham McNeil, who's a famous black library author. And I'm enjoying that. It's a fantasy flight book, so it ties into, I can't remember, what's the name of the game? Lovecraft style game. It'll come to me. Obviously not during this recording, but it will come to me. Uh, but that's cool. I, I like stuff like that, and it's just been a nice, easy read. It's called Ghouls of the Miskatonic. And I'm planning to read the Gaunt's Ghost series because I've always heard really good things about it. Dan Abnett, isn't it? Um, Gaunt's Ghost, so set in the 40k universe. So yeah, I'm gonna gonna go to them next. Start those, and um, I've never heard a bad word said about them. So I, th I think it's time that I had a wee look myself. And with that, I suppose I'll get things wrapped up. Uh, thank you very much for sticking with me throughout the course of this episode. I, th I hope that you found that all useful. I hope it's given you some ideas for, um, you know, especially if you're planning any solo or, or co-op campaigns with a heavy narrative element as well. I hope that's been useful for you. Links to everything mentioned in this episode will be in the show notes and you'll find it all at bedroombattlefields.com as well. Thanks very much once again for listening to this episode of the Tabletop Miniature Hobby Podcast and we'll speak again on the next one. Music